as we think about moms and reflect on our personal experiences and upbringing with our own mothers, I can't help but also think about growing up in church and working in churches for nearly 20 years and seeing the dedication and commitment and hard work of so many God-fearing moms in the church and how they're so often such a tremendous example of what it means to be a godly woman for the younger women in the church, even the girls in youth group and those young moms-to-be. I was a youth pastor for many, many years and watching moms go on trips with us and, and be examples to the young girls. I was in awe of some of those mothers. I know for my personal experience, the vast majority of workers in the church from the time I was a little kid right on up have been women and usually seasoned mothers whether it be nursery workers or kids church workers Sunday school teachers it seemed to always be the mothers who were getting the bulk of the work done anytime we'd have a, a fellowship day a potluck or a lunch a, a church get together and we and we see this here at our church it's usually the moms who are setting everything up and, and setting everything out and arranging the food and the chairs and fixing the plates for all the kids and, and cleaning up when it's all said and done. And don't get me wrong, it's not that men don't help or aren't helping with some of this. In fact, they are. Uh, it's just a fact that women, and typically mothers, are the ones doing most of the work. I'm sorry, guys. We get to mow the lawn and fix the plumbing but moms do all that other stuff. But why is that? Why is it that moms just always seem to jump in and do what needs to be done without waiting for direction, which, as you know, often may not ever come? It's because it's what they do pretty much every day, every waking moment of their day, and because they're good at it. My wife can carry on a conversation about five different subjects all at the same time while she's working on three different projects. My mother is the same way. I can be very productive when I'm focused on one thing at a time, right? But the truth is we're just wired differently. My wife can, can do that. She can manage, it seems like, multiple things all at once. And I just, I can't even follow her when we're having conversation half the time because she's talking about something and then I respond and then she's talking about something else and she never told me she went on to a different subject. <laughs> So I'm still on the original subject. Man, some conversations can get pretty weird really fast. Okay? But that's the way it works because we're just wired differently. And it's not really a whole lot different in the church. When there's a bunch of people standing around waiting for something to happen, for food to show up or a program to start, just like with the kids at home, the moms seem to just know what to do. They know how to do it and so they get it done. You can look around this building probably like, uh, much like many of your own homes, and see a mother's fingerprints all over it, from the color of the paint, the decorations, the furniture, and so on. And believe me, you don't want my fingerprints all over it, okay? There would be stuffed deer heads and antique shotguns all over the walls if it was left to me. But thankfully today we're celebrating Mother's Day and as you look around you do see the touch of mothers everywhere and no more is this uh, the case in this church than in our own children's ministries. Our ladies, with the help of a few guys, are doing a magnificent job taking care of and teaching our little ones and, and not so little ones every week downstairs. 
And I, and I want to tell you that this is as spiritual a ministry as anything we do. I watch uh, Jill and my wife, and uh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make somebody mad because I'll forget to name you, but all of these ladies, May, that are down there week after week working. And I go like in the toddler nursery, and they're, they're really, really cute for like the first eight seconds. <laughs> and then it all goes wrong. And I stand there and I realize I'm just, I'm going to jump through a window in a minute. And <laughs> these ladies have a way with these kids and they just love them and they teach them the precepts of the Bible. They teach them what it means to fear God and how to love Jesus. And it amazes me the way that God has gifted them. It's, it's as spiritual as anything we do in this church. Jesus said in Matthew 25, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. And I have to tell you, I'm so proud of our church. Okay, understand, I don't mean selfish pride. I mean I'm so incredibly honored to call this my church home. To be associated with such fine people that love God and love each other and love those that we haven't even met yet. These pews and these walls and the resources that come into this church have been dedicated to reaching the lost and discipling the found. And we will be successful in that mission in no small part because of our mothers and the dedication that they have to God and to all of us. So selfless, so giving, so committed, these, these traits which amazingly seem to be so common in mothers that we recognize and we celebrate you today. The Apostle Paul ministered in and around Ephesus for about three years and his ministry the word says was so powerful that in Acts 19 verse 11 Luke says and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them the handkerchiefs and the aprons were not magical Okay, there was no power there in and of themselves. But the point is, the power of the Holy Spirit is, is so real and so potent that even inanimate objects that Paul touched carried a great anointing that ministered to others because he walked in such a powerful anointing in the Holy Spirit. Okay? I believe in the very literal sense that that kind of anointing is still possible today by the power of the Holy Spirit. I absolutely believe that. And yet, symbolically, I see mothers quietly working every day, day after day, and taking care of big things and not-so-big things. And I see that even the objects that they've touched, clean rooms, painted walls, crafts made in, in kids' church, children taken care of, these things that minister to so many people who don't even realize that they're being touched by the ministering hands of our moms, some they've never met. Obviously, throughout history, and certainly biblical history, we see God using men to do amazing things, feats of courage and strength and, and acts of love and dedication that inspire us and spur us on to be better men. But there's no question whatsoever that he has used women, and specifically mothers, to accomplish so much for his kingdom, for his people, that it becomes very clear. The world needs mothers. You know that. From the very first pregnancy, God has used mothers to bring forth life. 
And I personally believe that the purpose and desire in a woman to bring forth life continues long after childbirth. My mother produced life in me and my brothers long after we were born. In fact, she still does that today. Through her love and nurturing and wisdom and, and support and encouragement, she floods our existence with life all the time. I believe that there is a God-instilled motivation in women to produce and sustain these life-giving attributes in other people around them. You know? Guys, we want to kick in the gates and conquer. You know? But women so often are used by God to sustain others. And I'm sorry if any of that sounds stereotypical or cavalier. And I know, I know that traditional gender roles are often challenged today, particularly in our culture. But I'm simply trying to say that generally speaking, I personally so often see attributes in mothers that nurture and sustain others around them. Qualities that most men don't have, at least not like mothers do. And, and I believe that is by God's design. Okay? We have a video that I think will help make my point. Let's show that. Mom, I'm not going to eat 
Dad, please go out to eat. Please. Hey, kids, be nice to your mother. If I think this, I'm going to throw up. Mom, I said we're going to throw up. about says it all, doesn't it? Well, today I want to talk about what God has done and is doing through our moms as a way to honor them and say thank you to all of you today. So uh, we're just going to talk about a few of the attributes of a life-giving mother, okay? A mother first rejoices in new life. When the angel of the Lord visits Mary and Joseph separately and explains to them that Mary's going to have a son conceived of the Holy Spirit and they're going to name him Jesus and he's going to save the world, it's interesting to look at their individual reactions. Just like the typical guy, Joseph says, all right, he accepts the reality of his situation and he sets out getting things in order to protect and provide for his family. Nowhere do we see in Scripture that Joseph does a happy dance, pumping his fists in the air and singing songs to his friends because he's a guy. And I can just about guarantee you that like most guys, when your wife tell you, tells you she's pregnant, you immediately start thinking about how you're going to feed it and, and clothe it and protect it and put it through college. Right? A, mind's, a guy's mind is flooded with this new responsibility and all the ramifications of that. A mother, on the other hand, is flooded with joy at the prospect of bringing forth a new life. Okay, let's read Luke, if you have your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 1, and we'll read verses 39 through 56. Uh, this passage is referred to as Mary's song of praise. She finds out she's going to have a baby, so she takes off to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Luke 1.39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste. She went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
So Mary beelines it down to her cousin's house because she's excited that her and her cousin now are going to have babies. And you know that when a woman and her friend or a close relative are pregnant at the same time, there's like nothing better. They go shopping for baby clothes together and they, they talk about strollers and car seats together. And it's just this really exciting thing for them. So while Joseph is back home preparing for payments on a new donkey and college tuition, Mary and Elizabeth are excitedly talking about their babies and, and, and Mary breaks out into a song. This is too good, right? It's like watching a TV show. She just busts out into a song. So skip down to verse 46 and... Uh, We'll start there. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Okay, can you tell that Mary's a little bit excited? Mothers rejoice in new life. The experience of having another human life growing inside of you is an unbelievably profound act of God that man can never have. Man can never experience that. And personally, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I've watched my wife go through that three times. I'd rather worry about the payments on the new donkey and the college tuition. It's something that God has expressly designed for a woman. And in all seriousness, it's a wonderful thing to see the joy of an expectant mother. Okay, a mother rejoices in new life. Number two, a mother nurtures the lives of those entrusted to her. There's birthing a child, and then there's everything after that. 30 minutes on a Sunday morning is not enough time to describe how a mother nurtures a child because it's a lifelong process and it was no different for Jesus. Okay, go back to Luke chapter 2 and we'll read verses 22 through 39. Luke 2, 22 through 39. Okay, it says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him, that's Jesus, of course, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. That's significant. Every male who opens the first womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... Remember that. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, skip down to verse 39. Okay, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Jesus' growth and maturity and wisdom and strength didn't happen by itself. Okay, God's favor was obviously upon him and it was imparted to him through the nurturing of his parents. Look at how many times in this passage it says that Mary and Joseph did everything with Jesus according to the law of the Lord. Okay, We think that there isn't much written about Jesus' adolescent years, but if you read these verses and understand what doing everything according to the law of the Lord means, you understand that there's a lot that is inferred here about the upbringing of Jesus. And at the very least, it's a clear picture of how he was nurtured by his mother and father. Notice also that when Simeon blessed them, he addressed Mary directly. And he said, a sword will pierce through your own soul. He's referring to her witnessing the crucifixion of her son in the future. At some point, Joseph drops out of the picture. Okay, some speculate that he died. We don't know for sure. What we do know for sure is that Mary, with a mother's heart, continued to nurture Jesus throughout his upbringing into strength and wisdom, into adulthood. I was talking to someone who was asking me about my past and how at one point I was far from God. But my mother, even as I got older, never stopped nurturing me in her, in her own wisdom and strength. And I'm telling you that she imparted qualities into my life that weren't realized in me until much later. But those nurturing deposits took root in my life even before I realized it. Okay, A mother nurtures the lives of those entrusted to her, even into adulthood. And number three, my final point, a mother never stops being a mother. Let's turn to John chapter 2, and we'll read the, just the first 12 verses. We've now skipped ahead to Jesus as a 30-year-old grown man at a wedding party. His mother, who still travels with him, is there also. And she's still very much being his mother. You know the story. John 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Can't you just see this exchange in your mind? Mary obviously knows what Jesus is capable of. So she wants him to take care of this emergency because they're out of wine. And Jesus is saying, hey, mom, come on. It's not time for people to know who I am yet. So what does his mother do? She basically looks right past his protest, as mothers often do. And verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. In other words, I'm your mother. 
I know what needs to happen here, so please take care of the wine situation. And she walks away to mingle with her friends. I love that picture of the interplay between her and her son as an adult. Now, there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, verse 6, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. That's a big deal. Okay, verse 11 is a significant statement. Not only was this the first of his signs, manifesting in his glory in front of other people, but it says his disciples believed in him. What caused all of that to happen? Of course, God's sovereignty and his mother telling her 30-year-old son what was best for the situation. Okay, verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Mothers never stop being mothers. Even at 30 years old, there's mom helping out, giving advice, very much a part of her son's life. Okay, and then John chapter 19, turn there, and we'll read verses 23 through 25. Jesus has reached the end of his earthly ministry here. He's been falsely accused, beaten, ridiculed, and abandoned by all of his friends. His closest comrades, his disciples have run off. Verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Okay? His disciples, his friends, his followers were scattered. They abandoned him for fear of their own lives. And I think it's such an amazing picture of the love of a mother that's standing at the foot of the cross when everyone else, all of the men, ran Afraid, When so many others took off to protect themselves, Jesus' mom refused to leave to the very end. She never gave up on Jesus. She loved him. She nurtured him and encouraged him. She stood by him to the end. That, my friends, is the heart of a mother. So to conclude today, I want to tell you about the effects in my own life and in others' lives about a couple of mothers that I know very well. My mom and my wife. These are two truly amazing people. Neither of my parents grew up in a Christian home. In fact, there's basically nowhere in my heritage, as far back as I'm aware of, any trace of the Christian faith at all. No one in my family for generations ever darkened the door of a church, and I'm certainly the first person in my family to enter the ministry. So I didn't grow up in a typical Pentecostal church environment as most of the pastors that I know did. 
My mother was led to the Lord as an adult by a Congregationalist minister in a little farm town in the hills of Pennsylvania where I was born. I remember watching her go through phases in her faith from salvation into baptism of the Holy Spirit and into this champion of Christ over a span of several years. My father didn't accept Jesus until many years later, so it was the unrelenting determination of my mother to raise those of us who were still living at home in a Christian environment and to expose us to the saving knowledge of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing ultimately that God himself would be the one to call us to salvation in his own timing. I'll never forget going to church with mom one Sunday morning, as we always did, and saying the sinner's prayer in Sunday school and wondering how that was going to change my life. What followed after many years of nurturing by my mom, depositing wisdom and strength into my life, is an unbelievable adventure in Christ and a new heritage for the Rucci family from here on out. I've had the awesome privilege of ministering to people as a youth pastor and a worship pastor and a men's pastor and now a teaching pastor for a long time. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm saying that none of the lives that God has touched through our ministry would have been affected by Christ in the way that they were if it hadn't been for my mother. Okay? And then I start thinking about the people who I've discipled over the years and how many of them have led others to the Lord and on and on and on. I wonder how many souls have been won for Christ because of my mother. Right? We're going to find out one day, but it's far more than just those that she's directly led to the Lord. Do you know what I mean? It just keeps spreading out as you go. The spiritual legacy of my mother's ministry to me stretches around the world and across generations. And then I think about Dad. He came to the Lord in no small part because of my mother and her example as a disciple of Christ. Today, Dad travels around in a Southern Gospel Quartet ministering to people in and outside of the church. That wouldn't have happened without my mother and her determined faith. Okay? The amazing thing to me is that I've never once seen my mom looking for accolades, ever acknowledging her service to God over her lifetime. She never asks for a pat on the back or expects anything in return because that's just the way that she is. My wife is the same way. I don't know how many of you know her well at this point, but you're blessed if you do. She's one of the kindest, most sincere people of any human being I've ever met. She's a what-you-see-is-what-you-get kind of girl. That's my kind of girl. I know just like everyone else in the world, she may not be perfect, but she's perfect for me. And like my mother, my wife doesn't even realize the effect that she has on people around her. Okay? And she never seeks flattery. I walked into the bank last week here in Traveler's Rest where I basically never go because there's never anything there for me to get. <laughs> but I walked in there, kind of an odd place, and I was asking a question to one of the tellers and she asked my name and when I told her she said, oh, is your wife Mary Beth? And I said, yeah. And she said, man, what a beautiful presence she has about her. She came in here the other day and we all just started talking about how beautiful and kind and friendly she was. You've really got a special lady there. And then this other teller comes over and starts talking about her. And then the customer service rep comes out of his office. And they're all buzzing about my wife for several minutes in the bank. And although I really appreciated their compliments about my wife, they didn't have to tell me. Because I already know all about that. 
She's incredible. And she touches lives around her all the time. It's just because of who she is. And I know it's not fair because I get to stand up here and tell stories about these moms in my life. And I know if I let each one of you, you could probably come up here and tell plenty of stories of your own. But that's just part of the legacy that they leave in our lives. Our moms are amazing, aren't they? They're amazing. And I don't care what people say about career and vocation and material wealth and fame, achievements, influence, anything else. Those things are fine. Being a mother is an awesome and frightening responsibility. And you affect the lives of so many people, even beyond your own children. What greater calling could there possibly be than being a mother? So I want to ask all of our moms here today to please stand, if you will. Can we just say thank you? Thank you, mothers, to each of you for what you do. Let's give them a round of applause. Now you got to stand back up. you got to stand back up. We're not done. And we're wrapping up here. We're about done. I just want to ask each of you who are seated, if you would now stand around these ladies and just lay a hand on them because we're going to pray over our moms today before we dismiss, okay? We don't want to have any mom alone, so please uh, gather around these moms, okay? And let's just pray together. Lord, we ask you today to bless beyond measure every single mother in this room and those that couldn't be with us today as we, as we honor them now for all that they've done for us. We ask you to fill them with health and peace and love. And Lord, please help them to know and feel in a very real way our appreciation and blessing, even as you're blessing them now. Refresh our mothers and strengthen them to carry on the work that only they can do. And we thank you for them, Lord. And, and Father, in the days that, that sometimes come to a mother, the days when strength is all but gone, hopes have begun to fade, and all their efforts can seem to be for naught, we ask you to begin to bring to mind all of the people who have been affected by other people, who have been affected by those that these mothers have touched, whether it's their own children or, or husbands or parents or neighbors, friends, teachers. Lord, we know that our moms affect so many people around them and they, they probably don't even realize it. Please remind them deep in their spirit, even as we remind them now, that they are in fact having great effect for your kingdom through the lives of so many. We ask you to absolutely flood them with joy and blessing that can only come from you. A sustaining joy and a blessing that they cannot contain. You've already brought mothers into this church who are becoming pillars of this fledgling work, this brand new church that you've ordained and set apart for great works. And we know that these moms and others will be at the center of anything good that we accomplish here. So we ask you to strengthen them for service, guide them for wisdom, and gird them up for the challenges ahead. We praise you and we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Father, for our mothers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to do just one more thing today to honor you moms. We want to recognize each one of you um, as, you're, as you're leaving today by giving you a rose.
So we have uh, Roger back there, one of our ushers, is uh, going to hand each one of you a rose.